So it was Mark and Dirk in the second day. From the throw and he just sprinted up the pitch and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is going to be a long day. They smelled a the rat with me. They knew I wasn't going to be right going back that way. And they were right. The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, very happy to say, Keen Tracy of the Irish Independent is here in studio. Great to have you in. Thanks for popping in. Cheers, Joe. Thanks for having me. And we have former Scottish international Andy Nicholl on the line. Andy, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. How are we doing? Yeah, very well. So we'll come on to Ireland in a moment. Let's talk Scotland. Let's talk Scotland 2022 Six Nations. It all started so well. It did. And that's two years running. It started so well against the same opposition, beating England two years running in the first game and you know, we all know that the Six Nations is all about momentum and you get that first win, it, it should set you up. And, and both years, we've failed to back up that win against England by beating Wales the following week. And and this year was very disappointing, I have to say. It was, you know, the, this team had been improving sort of steadily for the last couple of years. And that really, for me, was a big statement to go down to Wales and go down to Cardiff. We went down to... Connectly two years ago um, in buying closed doors and, and won. But Scotland haven't won down in Wales since 2002. And 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 this was a big one. And um, they just weren't up for it. And that's what's been, that was, for me, what was very, really disappointing. Because if you actually look at the rest of the Six Nations, Scotland are pretty much where we thought we would be. You know, probably lose to France at home, beat Italy away. By beating England the first game, go down to Wales, then suddenly we'd be, we'd be going to Dublin with in with a with a chance and so that that Cardiff game was a it hurt that really stung and when you use the phrase there they weren't up for it that suggests a problem of attitude um there's definitely mental fragility and you know I think Scotland have proven over the the last two years that you, you they can get up for for one-off games and they can win against some of the best they've beaten France you know the two years previous to to the game just a couple of weeks ago, and um, and they've been England twice, and been Wales, been Australia, so they can do the one-off games. What they've not had is consistency. And if you're going to make any inroads into a competition, especially the Six Nations, you need consistency. If you need to, if you want to get to the knockout stages of the World Cup, you need consistency. And they've 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 not shown that. And so, you know, I, I we have regressed. Scotland have regressed, and I, I don't think they've regressed physically. Yeah, we could, you could start analysing some of the performances, but but I just think mentally they just weren't up to going down to Cardiff as favourites and and win. And that that is a that's a mentality that, that has to change. And it's hard to change that because if you're if you've not got the experience of doing it, it's hard to, to go back there when you when you need it. What would the Scottish public say about this team? Um well they disappointed. Um you know I think we can uh I think we genuinely thought going into the Six Nations. So the last two Six Nations before this, Scotland had played 10 games, won six, lost four. The four games had been within one score. Mm-hmm. So that's how close they'd, they'd been. And so, you know, when that first game, you think you're you're really sort of making a step forward. But it's it's just, it has regressed. And that's disappointing. And a lot of those victories, those six wins in the last two years, a lot of it was based on the defence. And Steve Tandy's made a huge difference there. Scotland had the best defence in the, in the last two Six Nations. And so, you know, Scotland have always had reasonable attack. 
you know, but uh, and that got stronger as well with, uh, you know, not just Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg, the 10-15, you know, doing Van der Merver, you know, Chris Harris went on the lines in the summer, Alec Price went on the lines in the summer, was a test line, and uh, Darcy Graham, you know, there's, there's some real talent in that back line. So a solid defence and some good fl- flair players, you know, that that's the combination that you want. But if you don't have the mental capacity to cope with that, then then it's it just doesn't work. So I think there's been huge disappointment. You know, we conceded six tries at home to France, conceded three tries away to Italy, which um, you know is 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 two more than they've scored in the whole tournament so far. So you know that's not a good trend. And so um, yeah, there's there's genuine disappointment up here. Yeah, the defensive. Disimprovement is very evident. So, as you said, Steve Tandy came in post-2019 World Cup. They conceded just five tries across that 2020 Six Nations, whereas they're up to 11 tries with the game in Dublin to come. And even the penalty count, they're, well, they're, I mean, uh, top of the class in terms of giving away penalties. I think 46 conceded, 13 against England, 12 against France. So all of these yep. are uh, issues are adding up. Keen, I, was, uh, I went to Andy very much to set the scene on Scotland before we had the cheek to trash them but uh, what have you made of Scotland? Deja vu I suppose really I mean it must be so frustrating to be a Scottish fan I mean you think back to even post lines like how well kind of Finn Russell did on that tour Steve Tandy came in for a lot of blood it's like um, Andy says and you're kind of thinking okay this this could be the, the time where they kick on but I think Finn Russell has been poor throughout the Six Nations and when one of your key men isn't playing what, what chance do you have so um I think they have they have regressed. I don't think there's anything any doubt about it. You, you think back to a couple of years ago. I presume Gregor Townsend wish he never said it, but he said that you know we then we wanted to be the fastest team, play the fastest rugby in the world, and that's probably backfired spectacularly. I think there's been a couple of a couple of positives. I think someone like Rory Darge coming in into yeah. the Six Nations at back row has been absolutely outstanding, and it's probably just about trying to get the, the right balance. I think in that back, back row with the likes of Hamish Watson, they're probably still struggling for for a number eight to give them a bit of go forward ball. So um, disappointing, but like you look at the quality that they have, and Andy listed them off there, like Darcy Graham, Stuart Hogg, Finn Russell could turn it on and. That would be, I'd say, one of the main messages that Ireland will be driving this week, that this Scotland team still are. It's a bit of a cliche, but they they could. You know, we've seen it was a 2010, like a Scotland team came and kind of upset Ireland. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Um, so I wouldn't imagine Ireland would be taken for granted at all. No, because they still have loads of talent. And Russell's an interesting case, because in some respects, that Lions tour was almost a vindication of Finn mm. Russell and the way he likes to play the game. But Andy, for instance, I don't know, was this picked up in the Scottish media, but certainly uh, here, for instance, on Irish TV, Shane Horgan for the uh, Willemse try. Uh, Sean, one of those Piero style, like Piero being the software, lights down on... Uh, Finn Russell and his chase after the ball and then his quote-unquote chase back and it just showed a player in the first five, six minutes of a game, by the way, this wasn't tiredness, uh, basically not trying. You know, in the in the way that Rory Darge is trying, he was just not trying to chase back. He didn't want to know about it. It was anything but a team ethic. I don't yeah. know, is he getting criticism for his performances in, in that department? Like, fair enough if Finn Russell tries a risky pass or a crossfield kick and it doesn't work out. I think you live with that because of uh, his gifts as a player. But the work ethic really was, it was shocking, actually. It was. And, and um, Jonathan Davis highlighted it on BBC and Rugby Special over here as well. And right. um, it was very graphic. I mean, it was and it was bizarre because it was it was seven minutes into the game. If it had been seven minutes before the end and fatigue had kicked in, then you could maybe 
understand it if, if he was just knackered. But it was also where he was going. He was tracking back to the blind side, yeah. to the five-yard line. I just, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. And, you know, you're absolutely right. With Finn Russell, you're going to get some mistakes at times and you'd, you'd happily accept them for the magic that you can also produce. But and you've, but we've never, ever been able to accuse him of not um, showing commitment. You know, he's defensively, he never shirks a tackle. He um, And he, he's, a, he's not a big guy, but he, he takes a lot of the, the traffic coming down his channel. And so it was just very, very strange. And... Um, you know, there, there was actually quite a lot of clamour to um, to drop him for the Italy game and maybe bring in Adam, Adam Hastings. Um, I'm glad Gregor went with him again. And you, you got the curate's egg again from out in uh, in Rome. There was some brilliant stuff and some magic attack. And you know, he's got every trick in the book and he's got every kicking game in the book as well. So he, he's got it all. But he just he's not put together an 80-minute performance, anything but. He's just, you know, he, 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 in a 10-minute period against England, he basically won the game with uh, two cross kicks and they caused the penalty to try and then set up um, uh, another couple of opportunities. So he's just been in fits and starts. But, you know, when you've got a magic, uh, you know, he, and he is world-class when he's on his day, but when he's off, he drops down. Now, I think a definition of world-class is that your, your poor performances are still, what, 90% of your good performances. And we've just seen Finn drop quite considerably off that in the in the last few weeks. Yeah. Someone like Rory Darge we mentioned coming through is a very promising development and you could almost feel with that kind of attitude, you know, he could be a real uh, totem for Scotland going forward. Generally, what's the production line like? So we're we're familiar here with how Irish rugby works, obviously. The school system in Leinster in particular is, seems to be kind of a, a freak phenomenon and then there's a sprinkling of club players and the various academies of the four provinces jump in and, and, and take the best and we go from there. What about Scotland? Because, you know, we see Glasgow and we see Edinburgh. Is the game in rude health? Or is there a, a production line coming? Are there academies in place? Or, or, or what's the story in Scotland, say, the last uh, go to the last decade? So there's quite a few questions there. Let me try and unpick them <laughs> in the sense that, yes, there are academies. Are they working? No, I really don't think they are. I don't think we have got a production line. We The production line, if you can call it that, produces one or two players every, every so often. And Rory Darge is a great example of that. But um, it's almost he's he's a one-off when you know there's a, Ross Thompson who's been the Glasgow standoff um, this year played well. He's been in the Scotland squad, got capped in the autumn. Um, he's a, a good young player, but there's just not the numbers. And um, and I I personally and I, it's easy to for me to say this. I'm in the cheap seats. I'm not involved in in youth development. But I think we need to rip rip up the whole academy structure and and start again because it's not working. Our our under twenties. Um, were relegated in the last time that the Under-20 World Cup took place before COVID. So we're not even in the top tier under-20s. And Italy beat us again. I mean, absolutely destroyed Scotland last week. Um, we lost to France when they were down to 13 men. And and so the under-20s, um, it just is not working. And, and so I look on in envy with these young players, you know, when there's when the, the um, URC takes place during international weekends and you look at the, the Leinster and Munster squads, I don't know who they are because they're just young kids. But then you see the highlights and they're outstanding and they're ready to go. And we just we've just not got that. And, you know, two professional teams makes it difficult, but we've got but your strength 
then you know, the size of your country can then, instead of being a weakness, can be a strength. We should be able to talent ID every single yeah. good young player yeah. from a young age and stream them in exactly the right way. And I just don't think we are. So I think in answer to your, you know, that lots of questions is, I don't think there's a production line. I don't think our academies work. And I think we need to change something dramatically. We've got schools in Edinburgh. Of course we do. We've got private schools, Merkson Castle, Stuart's Melville. I watched the under 18 schools cup final last week. It was fantastic. Right. They've got a production line. They produce some great players. And there's George Watson's college, there's Dollar, there's Strathallan, lots of great private schools in, in Scotland that produce great players but they're just not coming through into the professional game. Okay. I think actually that your 20s are on a nine-game losing streak actually as well, yeah. which is yeah. uh, not great. Could be 10 this weekend. As well. Will be 10. Grand Will be slam. 10. Yeah. Guaranteed 10. Grand Slam in Dublin. Mm. Uh, so let's uh, turn our attention a little bit to Ireland. Keen, where were you after Twickenham in the frustrated corner or the, uh, can we kind of just look at the right side of this corner? I was definitely glass half full and I kind of felt like I was in the minority in the kind of the immediate aftermath of it. Um, I suppose why I was is like, I don't think people really kind of give enough credence to how much of a culture shift there has been within the Ireland squad in terms of the game plan and what's being asked of them. So it went really well towards the end of last year, obviously the England game being a turning point, um, really good in the summer with a second string squad and then obviously culminated in the, the All Blacks win. But it's still very early days, I think, in in the development of this this game plan and what's being asked for them. And it's not like under Joe Schmidt and, you know, this is something I've spoken to Luke Fitzgerald about because on the Left Wing podcast when he would say that it was a myth that Joe Schmidt, you know, discouraged people to offload the ball, but it certainly wasn't encouraged to the point that it is now under Andy Farrell and Mike Cat. And I know Leinster have been doing it for the last couple of years, but a lot of the other players, like certainly the Munster players, haven't been playing a style of play like that in Munster for the last year. So that does take time. So I was encouraged by the fact that they stuck to the same game plan, even when it was 15 all in the closing stages, it got nervy. And, it, you know, they did make hard work of it, no doubt about it. Yeah. But some of the offloads that they threw, I didn't necessarily think, and I've, I've heard people who are more qualified in terms of ex-pros saying it, they were poor decisions they should have went through the phases more but if let's say I think back to Tyg Byrne offloading to Ian Henderson or uh, Tyg Furlong offloading to Bundyaki if they stick and Ireland score the tries are we still having the same conversation because Tyg Byrne is well capable of drawing that offload Tyg Furlong's was a little bit more difficult but how many times have we seen him do it over the last couple of years so um I, I know what people are saying a little bit more patience might have you know broke England sooner but Ireland are committed to playing this way now going forward so I think you know I was certainly crying out for more of an expansive approach like let players you know express themselves on the pitch so if we're going to go down that route I think we have to allow a little bit of wiggle room that it's not always going to be perfect Um so I was certainly glass half full and you know what England played like really well and they deserve credit for that but Ireland were still pretty impressive um, in the closing stages and one of the biggest frustrations and concerns I would have said coming out of Paris was the lack of impact off the bench um, I think the, you know we, we just didn't see we didn't see much from the from the bench at all really in Paris and you compare that to even guys like, you know, Rob Herring has been much maligned, you know, over the last couple of years, particularly when you look at what Dan Sheehan and Ronan Keller are doing. But mm. he made a big impact when he came off the bench. So yeah. you got the, you got the impact that you needed off the bench and it was enough then to pull pull clear in the end. So my glass is certainly half full, I think, with, with Ireland. Yeah. So, Andy, I mean, you can give us the uh, very unbiased, unemotional view. 
But really, uh, lots of us feel we've gone from playing very efficient and accurate rugby to now being uh, the market leaders in champagne offloading rugby. We're like we're like France meets New Zealand, only better than them both combined. And it's a it's a very good mate and an usher at my wedding who's uh, probably taking some credit for this and my cat. So cat is a a great friend and he's done a great job because your attack Ireland's attack is outstanding, um, better than France. The shape that they pr- produce. And I think on Saturday, I, w- I watched that game from Rome and Ireland were, were were one pass or one offload like you've just been discussing or a couple of phases away from absolutely blowing England away. And I've, I found the narrative after that game, especially over here, about you know England's gutsy defence and and what happened up front was remarkable because they were they were blown away and it could have been 40 50 if if Ireland had had taken their chances and just I do think they should have gone through the phases a couple of times if you're down to 14 men and you're that close to the line just the number of phases is eventually the defenders are going to run out of space so I I've been hugely impressed I I, I just think their shape and attack is unbelievable and then you've got some of the the forwards, you know, Van der Fleer, Caelan Doris, just, you know, Tag Forlong has been ripped apart for his scrummaging. I'm not sure. Listen, I stood next to a million scrums. Was that, was one team absolutely dominant on Saturday? I don't think so. I spoke to people that know more about front row play than me. And I think the referee, human nature, sometimes tries to, to rebalance what's just happened by sending somebody off in the first minute. So, yeah. Um, you know, Ireland don't have a bad scrum. You know, Scotland are not coming over to Dublin on Saturday thinking, Christ, there's a team that just got destroyed by England up front. It could, it'll be a very different uh, scenario. So Ireland are in good shape. I think you're in great shape. I think, um, you know, there's there's so many good players there. That there's a real there's a real org- understanding. Now, you're, you've always had that understanding, even under Joe Schmidt, but it was quite formulaic. Mm. And I remember speaking to Drickle, Brian Driscoll said it was, he loved playing under Joe Schmidt, one of the best coaches he ever worked under, because it was just so organised. And Andy Farrell and Mike Catt and Easter Bain O'Connell, I mean, what a, what, a, what a group that is. And it just seems everyone is, is working very well together and the players are you're getting the best out of your players, which that is what a coaching team should get. So if I could just flip back to England for one second, you know, Eddie Jones is getting the complete opposite from his playing group at the moment. And I think if I I was an England fan, fan eight years into Eddie Jones's tenure and a year out from a World Cup, and he's still talking about being a working progress, their attack is a working progress. I'd be embarrassed about that. So... Um, so that was my, my English rant over, but my my, my Irish um, uh, appreciation it, it's up there. They were yeah, I'm I'm very worried about this game on Saturday because I think Scotland's defence, which has dropped off as we said, um, it's going to be tested like it, it's not been tested so far, and we conceded six tries against France and three against Italy. I hadn't realised the my cat link actually because uh, mm. I I don't know do you keep in touch much, but certainly around this very week last year because Ireland played England in the last game and so four rounds in my cat was coming under massive pressure in the media here amongst the general public what are they at it all looks very blunt the shape isn't good we had numerous very shrewd pros coming on this show saying I actually can't see what they're trying to do I don't even see what they're working towards and then boom it all seemed to just blossom overnight against England and 
the rest is history. So uh, your, your thoughts on, on Cat, because certainly the other point that's been made is that Lancaster over the last two, three years in Irish rugby has brought the skill set of the bulk supplier to the national team up massively. And that's, you know, that's given the national team a more arsenal to work with. But would be very curious, for, for are you seeing things in the Irish shape that have Mike Cat's fingerprints all over them? Um, I'm, I'm probably seeing more Leinster fingerprints on it than, than Catty. Of course, Mike has, has done that. But you, when you can see the way that Leinster played with Johnny Sexton for, for all his years and the wraparound and the runners off that it's and playing out the back, that's been Leinster's um, key for, for years and they've done it so effectively. And you'd be you'd be stupid as a coaching group not to 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 harness that to to bring that into to play when you've got so many Leinster backs in that Irish backline. So, um, you know, Catty has he's a great man. He's a great rugby thinker. He always was when I played with him down at Bath. Mm. Um, I, lo- I love playing with him because we would we would talk about the game, but not in not in the the detail that or the depth that some people talked about. We just we played what was in front of us, and I think. That to me is within that structure. He's he's given um, Ireland the freedom to play what's in front. And when you've got players as experienced as Johnny Sexton and, and then Henshaw and Aki and Ringrose and any number of your back three, they're they're just playing. They're they're, they're doing set up plays that have got options. And depending on what happens with the defence in front of them, they're choosing the right option. Now that is that's good coaching and it's good players. And when you've got that together, you're getting the results that you're getting. Mm. Uh, Keen, I haven't really talked to you across the last uh, four rounds. Uh, overview on Ireland. I mean, uh, most things are in very good working order. They, they, there's a slight issue over strength and depth here and there. And if we could wrap Johnny Sexton in wool and Tyg Furlong as well until the World Cup, we would do it. But like in the main, no team has everything in perfect shape. I mean, this is kind of as, as positive as, as we've been about Irish rugby in years. Back to 2018, really, isn't it? There is. I I would slightly disagree that there's a slight issue with depth. I think there's a couple of big issues with depth. Um, I think particularly a prop. I think Ireland are potentially sleepwalking into a disaster at the World Cup. And I know that sounds strong, but I just think when you said and tighthead. I think so, yeah. Because like if you if you take Tyg Furlong out of that team, yeah. um, I think that the drop off is significant to to who's below them, and that sounds obvious because he's the leading world tighthead, but. I thought it was like concerning last week, not just about how the scrum went went wrong, because I was writing about this in the build up that like when you take Andrew Porter out of a team, like he's another ball player and Andy was touching there and, you know, what my cat has brought. But for me, it's been the shape of Ireland's attack and that one, three, two, two system. That pot of three, like Andrew Porter is so important in that pot of three with Caelan Doris because you have several options off it. Keen Healy just doesn't give you that anymore. <clears throat> Now, Keen Ely, I wouldn't have had any issues going into the game or concerns over the scrum. As it turned out, it was a disaster, but we know like there was extenuating circumstances yeah. around that. But Keen Ely is going to be two years older by the time <clears throat> excuse me, we get to the World Cup. Um, I think that is a concern. I don't think Dave Kilcoyne, who is underneath, plays the same way that Andrew Porter plays in terms of being that ball player. So I just think if one of those props gets injured, um, like we've seen now and you, you, without Ronan Keller, I think there is a big drop off. I think there's a concern in the second row. Uh, James Ryan is obviously going through a really difficult time and hopefully he gets back, you know, but all in his own good time, obviously. But I think there's Ireland are a little bit light there in, in the second row too. So my overview is that, yeah, it's going really well. But if we're talking bigger picture, I think there are a couple of things that Andy Farrell will be concerned about. And I think that's why the summer tour to to New Zealand is going to be absolutely crucial to strengthen the depth 
in obviously the toughest place that, that you can go because um, there are a couple of holes I think on, on the depth chart appearing but overall like I think I've been really impressed I think they made hard work of it against like it's been funny like the last two games they played against 13 men for most of the game against Italy and they made, played against 14 men against England What by the way is Andy Farrell meant to do about the lack of depth at prop? That this is it like if Andy Farrell was in this room I think he would go well who do you want me to yeah, pick? Well, like, what's he meant to do? I don't know, clone Dyke Furlong or clone Dyke Porter. Like, and these are the, the very, you know, I'm sure if we listen to uh, radio in various other countries, they'd be getting into these in-depth depth charts and, and, and it's mm. important to have these conversations. But there's a degree whereby, I don't know, Andy, you can give us your verdict. I'm sure there is a, like, there is a massive drop off in our two starting props to the other two. Like, there probably is a point with every single team in world rugby, if you take away their two or three best players, if you're unlucky enough to lose them to injury or they disappear... Yeah, the team's not going to be as good. I don't know if there's a, been a squad in, in world rugby history where you could take away the two or three best, no? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a luxury that very few coaches have. And Gregor, Gregor Townsend actually had it to an extent in the in the first game against England that Scotland went with, with Sutherland, Turner and Fagerson up for, in the front row and then were able to bring on Kebble and McAnally and WP Nell. And there's not much of a drop-off. They're, they're all good players. And... And Scotland for years have always struggled with depth. You know, we've over the years been able to put out a good 15, maybe sometimes a good 20, very rarely a, a proper 23, with then players really pushing those 23 um, from, behind, from behind. And so um, to be able to, for Gregor to then, and Gregor then changed the front row, starting front rows the other way around for the Wales game because of what he saw was that Scotland's better scrummages were going to come off the bench against England to take on Marler but they were going to start against Wales where Wynne Jones was playing because they were Wales were stronger on their starting um, bench rather than their bench. So when your coach has got that ability to change um, and you've got that quality to come on, that's a luxury. But when you're talking about world-class players, which Tag Forlong undoubtedly is, and Porter looks like he's he's on that same direction of travel. Um, of course, when you lose them, you're going to, there's going to be a drop off. And, you know, just like, you know, as, as good, when you take off, say you take off Doris and you bring on Conan, I mean, that's that's like for like, that's a luxury for, for Andy Farrell. But, you know, it doesn't always happen like that. New Zealand have been blessed for years, haven't they? With, you could name uh, a third 15 in New Zealand that would beat probably most teams' first 15. You, you could, there's there's just so many players. Mm. Um, that causes a few issues in selection as well. But uh, it's, it's, um, Strength and depth through a tournament, through a World Cup, with the rugby and the way it is at the moment is huge. And that's why the bigger the bigger countries with the bigger squads, and then bring it down into club level, the bigger clubs with the bigger squads, that's why they do so well, because they can cope with a few injuries. We've had a few injuries since that luxury of the props. And we're, you know, we're we're not scraping the bucket, but there's a big drop-off in quality from where we were. So yeah. it's um in a in a physical sport, you need a strength and depth because no team will go through any 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 campaign using just your your starting fifteen. I think that's that's spot on, and that's probably the, the point I'm I'm trying to make is that you, you think back to Paris, both uh, Andrew Porter and Tyg Fernand played 73 I minutes. It, when the clock hits 60, 66, 67, 68, you do start wincing a bit. Absolutely, and you look at like how well the French front row were playing, and they all came off after 50 minutes yeah, because yeah. like that's the quality that they can roll off the bench. South Africa do do the same, obviously with their bomb squad. Yeah. And I just think if you're going to, and I know 
we have a tendency unfortunately to look t- at everything through the prism of a World Cup but when the games are condensed and you know you come to like playing Scotland South Africa and it probably Tonga like which will be a big game at the World Cup in terms of the physical battle it's unrealistic to expect your two props to play that long every game and yeah. that would be my concern of the of the bigger picture Oh it's but, totally valid it's totally valid it's just uh, no one has an easy solution unless like I don't know there's some world class Irish qualified props drinking in Andy Friend's son's bar that we yeah. can bring over pretty yeah. quickly again I don't know it is an issue and then the Sexton issue is, you know, he, he underlined the gap again this championship, didn't he? So that's where we are. Um, so final thoughts, Andy, because I know you have to uh, go at the weekend. Scotland, one win in 23 years in Dublin. Yeah, I was there in Croke Park, wasn't it? It was the last game in Croke Park. Dan Parks with that conversion from the, yeah. the left touch to line. Deny yeah. Ireland a triple crown, actually, as well. No, sorry about that. You've, right. you've, 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 uh, you've rammed it off us since, so uh, <laughs> you've, you've certainly got your own back. Um, oh, listen, this is this is, um, this is going to be a tough game for Scotland, there's no doubt. Um, you know, it's, I guess it's, Scotland could be dangerous opponents because there's nothing to lose. Nobody's giving us a, a prayer to, to, um, to go over to Ireland and win. I just I worry that there was some really good attack last week against Italy, but it was against Italy, where whose defence was not there, and then the defence to concede three tries, you know, and that's in the back of as, as mentioned twice already, you know, six tries against France at Murrayfield. So you do not want to be going to Dublin with a defence with question marks over your defence or the and the structure and just understanding the system. Why is the system breaking down rather than individual tackles when you're coming up against probably the best organized and def- attack in the six nations better than better, way better than france france you know attack in a different way than ireland ireland have got the best uh, attack and um, and that worries me so uh, you know you've you've got obviously you need to win the game to uh, to have any chance of winning the championship and um yeah i cannot see france losing i'll be honest so i don't think you will but you've got to throw everything at it so that makes it uh, I'm a bit worried about the 80 minutes at, uh, of the Viva on Saturday, I'm afraid. Okay. Well, listen, it's fantastic to have you on. Andy Nicholl, thanks so much for the time. Very much appreciated. Very welcome. Cheers. Andy Nicholl there with us, uh, former Scottish international. Uh, what is the <coughs> word before we uh, say goodbye on James Ryan? There is no word, really. Um, he's gone back to Leinster. They're going to assess him there. And, you know, judging by their past history, you think back to how they've treated Johnny Sexton and more recently Caelan Doris. It's probably the best place for him to be because, you know, Caelan Doris went to see, you know, a neuro, neurologist, I think it was, um, which is a, such a scary word when, when you hear about it. And, you know, it's so topical at the moment with high tackles and stuff. But when you hear the word neurologist, and I remember thinking back to like Caelan Doris was probably like in well sorry he is in his early 20s and it's such a scary thought so um, don't know what the what Ryan's you know process will be I presume they're going to probably keep it under wraps for now but yeah like it's just terrible really you see Charlie Ewells gets a, a three game ban uh, today and you know the likelihood is that James Ryan will probably be out of the game a lot longer than that you'd hope not but um, given his history he probably like you know doesn't need to rush this back whatsoever Yeah I was trying to make sense of the Charlie Ewells thing who by the way I don't think was intentionally trying to hurt anyone none of us are saying that but it was certainly careless in the extreme so uh, law number 9.13 which says you must not tackle late early or dangerously now, he was certainly late and it was certainly dangerous. So the medium entry point there for a tackle like that is six weeks. Mm-hmm. And then rugby has all sorts of mitigation, including like remorse, contrition. Bring it's, the nice biscuits to the, to the hearing, which is more difficult now when it's virtual. His conduct at the hearing is part of, yeah. you know, so I don't know. Do you walk in and sit in a chair backwards and put your cap on backwards mm-hmm. and say... 
what are you all guys most people about? most people do get that to be fair don't they you'd want to be a real badass not to uh, get it uh, it'd be an odd choice to not behave well at the hearing and to be fair a relatively unblemished disciplinary record so entry point six weeks reduced to three weeks so two mm, how many six nations well one six nations game and then I don't know I guess but, club yeah. games beyond that but but three weeks versus you know James Ryan a massive setback and the question mark has been raised over the past number of days were they talking about Yule specifically but do we need to start handing out month and two month bans for head hits mm-hmm. of any kind and uh, I suspect that's a topic we'll come back to it's it's hard to argue against no, longer bans yeah. for hits to the head isn't it yeah and like even Yule's I think can get another week shaved off that if he does um, like a, some sort of training course that you can do because this is what a rugby has introduced lately now as well so it's so conflicting, isn't it? Like, I mean, a professional yeah. rugby player in his, like, Charlie Yules is really experienced being asked to undertake, you know, a course on how to tackle. Like, you know, that's sort of bread and butter stuff that you teach under eights. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, there's no doubt, like, that rugby is in a very difficult place. And I wouldn't personally be against handing out longer bands because I just don't see what the deterrent is. Otherwise, okay, three weeks, fair enough, he'll get it down to two. But... It, like of course he's going to think twice if about his body height when he's going into a tackle again. But if he had had the full six week ban, I'm sure it would be in his head a lot more. So one for the powers that be, but I certainly wouldn't be against uh, for longer bans depending on the incident. Like I mean, I don't know if you saw Bishmark du- Duplessis um, sumo tackle on Alex Kendellen in the Munster game la- last weekend, but like my God, like that was on the opposite end of the scale. Essentially, like dropped him from a height, like on his on his neck. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see what the the ban out of that is going to be. So very different to Charlie Ewell's incident, but incredibly dangerous. Like Alex Kendellen, like really young Munster, exciting Munster number eight was lucky he didn't break his neck. So. Um, that is one that needs a long, long ban. Um, and if you're going to make an example of something, um, it would have to be something like that. So it'd be really interesting to see how hard they come down on him. OK. Uh, there was uh, just a tweet in wondering, are there any hot prospect props coming through a la Sheehan and Kelleher? Well, actually, right now, Jack Boyle in the... I know you've been covering, obviously, a lot of the under-20 Six Nations has been really, really good. And to be fair to the person who contacted, like... it. Andrew Porter is probably the last one to come through and when he was coming through with the under 26 nations you know you just knew that this guy was exceptional so strong. Like just yeah. so so good so like Ireland have had good under 20 teams over the last couple of years but there's been no kind of props that you'd hang your hat on and say this guy is really coming through to be fair there's a couple at Leinster um Thomas Clarkson is a tight head and Michael Milne is um, a loose head who are both really highly rated but have had injury problems um, so probably like and to be fair it does take props a little longer to develop I think we're seeing that in Munster as well with someone like Keenan Knox you know who's Irish qualified now as well hasn't probably played as much as he would have liked because it just takes him that bit longer I think they're those guys are all like 22, 23 but like you think back to like even Tyke Furlong's emergence like Andrew Porter was a bit of a freak so yeah. it does take a little bit longer but it goes back to my original point. If Andy Farrell was sitting here, he would say, well, who do you want me to pick? And yeah. it, it, it is an issue. It is an issue. There's no doubt about it, but there's no there's no easy fix. Yeah. The degree of head to the World Cup, cross our fingers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like, yeah. I mean, like I said, everyone's going to be a year and a half, like, eight, like you know, we're 18 months out sure. from the World Cup. So when someone like Ian Healy's already at the end of his career now, and I know he's recently signed a two-year Leinster contract, but it's a lot of mileage on the clock. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, we'll enjoy uh, the weekend for the time being. Our rugby coverage on Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Keen Tracy of the Irish Independent. Thanks a million, King. Cheers, Joe.
Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us 